whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. And, well, it has been a wild past few months, to say the least, since the 2020 NFL Draft. But after a lot of hard work and compromise between players and owners, the NFL is back in business, at least for now, as training camps are currently in full swing. And because of that, we here at Sports Crunch are back to bring you all the best coverage of what promises to be an NFL season like no other. We are still in the midst of an unprecedented pandemic with the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. And the 2020 NFL season is still going to kick off on September 10th, which is three weeks from this Thursday night, with Patrick Mahomes and the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. But whether the season concludes remains to be seen. Joining me to discuss that and more is my good friend Matt Barr, the co-host of the Fourth of Gold podcast, which is now part of the esteemed Pro Football Network. Matt, how you been, my friend? I'll tell you what, I've been better and I've been worse, but you know, everything is kind of starting to come back to normal, at least for the NFL. And so if we can get some normalcy out of the NFL, I'll be a, I'll be a happy man. Uh, yes, we could use uh, whatever break we can from the stresses of the pandemic and the upcoming election and other uh, tensions in our country right now. Uh, so I'm definitely with you there. And uh, first, let's talk about the pandemic, though. And what we have seen with Major League Baseball thus far, with the COVID-19 outbreaks within the Florida Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals causing their games to be postponed, what we've seen thus far with baseball is likely a preview of what we should expect in the NFL this season. A few weeks ago, Peter King, the esteemed legendary NFL columnist currently with uh, NBC, uh, he wrote that he is convinced that at some point, the league will likely have to suspend play like the NBA did in March when the pandemic first hit. However, Richard Sherman in that same uh, Monday morning article Peter King wrote, he countered that he only sees that happening if things get really, really bad and, and, and says that the owners are going to be desperate to continue the season no matter what. Under what circumstances should the NFL suspend play? Man, I, I, I wish I had a solid answer for this one because I... I think the NFL is more prepared than the other leagues are to do this. Obviously, the NBA is acting in their own bubble, and, and they're they're handling the things their way. Major League Baseball, they spent so much time arguing back and forth between the Players Association and Major League Baseball on, on, on how, when, what they were going to do, that they never really spent time putting a plan together. The NFL has a plan, and they are doing the testing, and they are making sure that teams are locked down and doing what they have to do. We saw the rookie for the Seattle Seahawks was kicked out for having a, a – a female accompaniment come inside the team hotel without permission. He was cut on the spot. Boom, done. The NFL has a plan. It, the, the the line that's going to cross, I think, is once we see someone like Patrick Mahomes get COVID and, and, and be expected to miss a significant amount of time, it's going to take some of the star power to really get hit hard or for one team to just get completely just mollywopped by, you know, like, more than half the team getting it all at once. Uh, there's a lot of hurdles they're going to have to go through to to cancel this season, and that's just because, like Richard Sherman said, the owners want their money. And with no other sports going on, they realize how important this year is to their pocketbooks. Oh, absolutely. But uh, you brought up a good point. The uh, arguments between the Baseball Players Association and Major League Baseball were – some of the ugliest negotiations I've witnessed uh, in my time on this earth observing sports. But the NFL and the NFLPA, they got it right. They not only agreed to a uh, plan to keep COVID-19 in check, 
They also agreed to a long-term financial plan in which uh, to compensate for the inevitable financial losses due to COVID-19 because uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are no fans at any stadiums at some point this season. Um, uh, it, to deal with the financial loss, where they agreed, they met the players' demands. We're just going to knock the salary cap down to no lower than $175 million last year to compensate for losses, and we'll uh, spread that out over years. So um, you're not... Um, uh, don't have to fear about uh, getting significantly lower contracts uh, uh, than you would have uh, without COVID-19. So I think uh, that is a really key element that the NFL did, not just for this year, but for the post-COVID-19 world as well to figure out their financial uh, straits. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to see them actually kind of get together and work together on this. Because like you said, with Major League Baseball, it was just so ugly that they just didn't want to work together at all and they didn't want to help each other out. And they were just so at each other's throats for everything that now they're left with a side that, you know, a deal with that both sides really don't like. I'm sure the NFLPA and the NFL have have some things they would like to change about their deal, but all, all total, they're probably pretty happy with what they got. Uh, yes, and uh, you brought up a good point. Like if uh, Patch Mahomes could, or somebody like that contracted COVID and had to be sidelined for a couple weeks – uh, that could force the NFL to suspend play altogether, but I it, it'll take much more than one player, in my opinion, given uh, what Richard Sherman said. To me, it's going to have to take something to suspend play altogether, like somebody on uh, some team having to go on a ventilator. Yeah, you could see that someone getting hit really, really hard. And you know, like the other thing I said was, if a whole team just gets swacked with it all at once and they have to just completely miss a game, they could be like, oh, 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 pause. Maybe we need to just kind of put a pause on the whole season and let this thing kind of figure itself out instead of just canceling one game, which you know the NFL schedule. It's so rigid, and and it's not like baseball where you can just play a makeup doubleheader. You can't make up a football game anywhere. There's very few spots to do it, especially if you get two teams that are on different bye weeks, and it's just it's almost impossible to make anything up. So if one of the teams just ends up having to to miss an entire game, that's where it could just – really set everything back it most uh, certainly could uh but uh what the but in order for that to suspend play altogether i think it would probably take multiple teams uh, to get that because if it's just one team then you could just uh cancel that game and play it the week after week 17 and make a week 18 like uh, some people have suggested uh so i think it would probably take multiple teams uh with a big bug like that to uh to suspend play altogether I hope that's the case, and I hope we don't see anything. I hope the plan they have in place and the testing they're doing keeps this stuff away and, and keeps these guys in good shape, in good health, and ready to play. And I hope that all these football players are all on the same page and they're all you know, committed to making sure that this COVID stuff doesn't impact their teams. I, uh, I totally agree with you, and uh, we will continue talking about COVID-19 and what to expect um, from the NFL during this pandemic. But now let's talk about the stories that football fans have been dying to hear for months. The trading cap storylines for each team. And we start in the NFC West, which could be the best division in the National Football League by far uh, this season. Starting with your San Francisco 49ers, the defending uh, uh, NFC champions. Uh, came just uh, Patrick Mahomes deep pass from Tyree Kill away from winning uh, that Super Bowl. But uh, they seem to be hungry and chopping at the bit to get back. Uh, signing George Kittle to that contract definitely um, uh, asserted themselves, saying that we intend to be competitive for a long, long time. But with your 49ers, what would you say is the biggest training camp storyline? Can they avoid the Super Bowl hangover? 
the dreaded Super Bowl hangover, right? Pretty much the only team in the last uh, almost 20 years to really avoid it entirely has been the New England Patriots. And Kyle Shanahan has tried to build himself up to be the next Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick West, Patriots West. They've tried so hard to make that happen. That Can they avoid the Super Bowl hangover? That's the biggest storyline going into the year. Uh, that is like the biggest generic storyline, but in terms of uh, more specific, in terms of specific players, uh, the 49ers defensive line remains one of the best in the NFL we, with uh, Nick Bosa, D Ford and Eric Armstead, but uh, trading away DeForest Buckner, while it made sense from a financial perspective, uh, that is a big hole to fill. And that is a big reason why they selected Javon Kinlaw with the 14th overall pick in the draft. And I was able to meet Javon Kinlaw at the Senior Bowl. Very uh, soft-spoken, humble young man. Uh, very inspiring story. Grew up homeless for parts of his childhood. Uh, started at, at, at JUCO and earned his way up to South Carolina where he became the anchor of Will Muschamp's defense there. Like his raw talent is very reminiscent of Chris Jones, the stud for the Kansas City Chiefs um, coming into the league. And uh, we have uh, the 49ers, I think, uh, should know whether he is up to filling uh, DeForest Buckner's shoes right off the bat because I think a big factor to get him back to the Super Bowl would be for Kinlaw to uh, not be a big downfall from uh, DeForest Buckner in his rookie year at a position that's very hard to learn. Absolutely. And, and all the reports coming out of the first couple of days of camp and practices that Kinlaw is the real deal. They're saying he's super powerful. He's super cerebral. And uh, I believe it was D Ford said that he reminds him of Nick Bosa, just quiet, soft spoken, but he's being an absolute sponge. He's taking in all the information he can and every rep he's getting a little bit better and he's learning and learning and learning as he goes along. So hopefully Kinlaw can keep this up because if, if he does that, that defensive line again is going to be one of the best in football. Uh, absolutely. And uh, with uh, Nick Bosa likely commanding a lot of double teams this year, uh, Kinlaw is going to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one opportunities. That's the hope. That's the hope. And it's, it's, it's D Ford's going to get one-on-ones, Javon Kinlaw, Eric Armstead. It's, it's, you really got to pick your poison on who you're going to stop on that 49ers defensive line. And most teams are probably going to choose to try and stop Bosa. Yes, and now we go to the Pacific Northwest with the Seattle Seahawks. And the Seahawks, they needed Russell Wilson to be Superman all season long last year, which he was. And it got them one yard shy of a home field advantage throughout the uh, NFC playoffs. Uh, well, Dre Greenlaw didn't make that uh, happen, but uh, the Seahawks said they did come up one yard short because of the magic of uh, Russell Wilson. But the Seahawks, just a couple weeks ago, they completed a blockbuster trade, sending two future first-round picks to the New York Jets to bring in all-pro safety Jamal Adams, one of the best young defenders in the National Football League. And I, in my opinion, the biggest storyline for the Seahawks at trading camp is how big of a difference maker is Jamal Adams on a defense that lacks a lot of firepower outside Bobby Wagner right now. Yeah, their whole their whole secondary in Seattle is actually very good. And oh, I think yeah, that's, Shaquille it's, Griffin, it's, my mistake. Sorry, yeah, how did I forget Shaquille Griffin? Yeah, and uh, th yeah, their, their, their secondary is very good. Uh, and Bobby Wagner is obviously one of the best linebackers in the league. And you look at K.J. Wright, who's kind of lost a step over the last couple of years or so. But their defensive line is really where the biggest question marks sit. And, and, and the trade for Jamal Adams is great. But the biggest question mark I have for the Seattle Seahawks going into the season is the both sides of the trenches. Their offensive and defensive lines are just subpar and Russell Wilson hides so much of that on the offensive side of the ball, his ability to scramble and, and, and extend the plays and make things happen outside the pocket. But on the defensive side of the ball, Jamal Adams is almost their best pass rusher they have right now. 
when you actually look at guys that can rush the passer, Jamal Adams on a blitz is probably their most effective tool. And that's got to be a little scary when you look at the offenses they are going to have to play just in the NFC West. Arizona loaded up. San Francisco obviously was really good last year and they're gonna probably going to continue to be just as good this year. And then L.A., Jared Goff isn't great, but when he has time, he can pick a defense apart. And if you can't get to the if you can't get to the passer in the NFL, your defense is going to struggle. I don't care how good guys on the back end are. Oh, oh, that is a very, very good point. And yes, that defensive line is the most worrisome part of the uh, Seahawks' entire team, arguably, given the fact that Russell Wilson can mitigate a lot of the, the offensive line's uh, shortfalls. Uh, what do you think is the biggest headline for the Seahawks outside of Jamal Adams and the defense? I think it's going to be the development of DK Metcalf. We started to see in the second half of the year last year, we started to see Metcalf branch out a little bit more and his route tree expand a little bit. Can he become that full all-around wide receiver instead of just being limited to slant routes and go routes and and, and post routes and just very simple stuff? Can he become the all-around receiver to match Tyler Lockett on the other side? Because if he can... Those guys are going to put up monster numbers up in Seattle because DK Metcalf, everybody fell in love at the combine because he's so big and he's so fast and he's so athletic. Now the question is, can he turn that athleticism into more than just beating corners with his speed? That is a very, very good thing for fantasy people to keep an eye on. And especially with DK Metcalf headed in year two, he could ex- really explode this year and take a lot of that burden off of Tyler Lockett's shoulders. Uh, so uh, DK Metcalf, he could be Russell Wilson's go-to guy by the end of the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Tyler Lockett is one of my favorite receivers in the league. I know he plays for Seattle. And I know I'm a San Francisco guy, but I just love what Lockett brings to the table. And if, if Metcalf can can exceed what Tyler Lockett does for Seattle, that's going to be a really dangerous duo, maybe even one of the best in the league. Oh, uh, they arguably have one of the best uh, receiving cores of the entire NFL right now. And if you add uh, even uh, Greg Olson at tight end, yes, uh, he's long in the tooth, but he could still give you a red zone presence that's going to take some attention away from DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in the red area. So Russell Wilson is going to have an even more loaded passing attack uh, this season that he did last season. And last season he had plenty of weapons. And now we go to the uh, L.A. Rams. What do you think is the biggest trading cap storyline for the L.A. Rams, a team that I expect to take a pretty sizable step backwards this year? Yeah, I think that's the biggest question is <laughs> how big of a back step is that going to be? They finished was it 9-7 and seven last year. They just missed the playoffs. If they had the expanded playoffs that like they do this year, the Rams would have made it. I don't think they played well enough to be a playoff team. So, that just goes into to me not liking the expanded playoffs as is, but you know I'm sure we'll broach that subject at some point. Um, but the Rams is how how big is that step back going to be? Um, they're another year older. They've lost a lot of talent. They don't have the draft picks to reload on the talent at a lot of positions. Uh, offensive line is questionable. Defensive line outside of Aaron Donald is is just pretty good. Um, you know they lost Corey Littleton, who I think is one of the better players on that defense uh, in free agency to the Las Vegas Raiders. There's just so many question marks all across that team that, to me, the biggest storyline is can McVay keep it together to avoid such a giant backslide? Yes, and I think a lot of that's going to fall on that uh, offensive line. And uh, as we you said about Jared Goff, uh, Jared Goff, uh, I'm not saying he is Joe Flacco, but uh, if there's one thing that Joe Flacco and Jared Goff have in common, they are offensive line-dependent quarterbacks because if they don't have protection, their immobility kills them and they can't uh, 
take advantage of any opportunity if they don't have protection. So, uh, so that and that Rams offensive line, you could argue even with Whitworth coming back, they were bad last year. They might be even worse this year with all the uncertainty there. So uh, that I think could be the biggest question facing the team. And if the offensive line takes a big step backwards, then that could mean the whole team takes a big step backwards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and can McVay kind of keep the pieces together on offense enough to run his system? Because his system, we've seen it. With system, when he has the proper players, it works. Can he get that system to work again this year? They got off such, such a slow start last year that they were kind of like in the hole and they couldn't ever make up and, and make it back into the playoff picture. So this year they're going to have to start quick and they're going to have to be able to show that they can compete early because otherwise they're going to be in for a very long season. Uh, yes, and uh, the rookie running back, uh, Cam Akers, out of Florida State, who they took with their first to two second-round picks, uh, he is going to have to come out of the gate swinging to make that offense go, I think. Absolutely. They're depending on a lot of young running backs to make a lot of big moves that you know they're going to have to make up for what Todd Gurley did for them the last couple of years. Yes, and back to a team that I think is going to take a pretty sizable step forward this year, or at least should, the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray headed to his second season. The Them stealing DeAndre Hopkins unconscionably away from the Houston Texans. Uh, add, add the scheme of the weapons they have on offense and some of the young talent coming in like Isaiah Simmons on defense. A lot to be excited about in the desert. Yep, the biggest question for me is can that offensive line do enough to buy Kyler Murray some time to use his weapons because, boy, does he have a whole mess of them. That is a terrifying offense down in Arizona, but the offensive line is the biggest question mark, and they just – can they keep him upright? Kyler Murray, he you know, he survived his rookie year. He took a lot of hits. Uh, he was, didn't get hurt, anything serious, and it was it was good to see that happen. Can he continue to take beatings and and come out fine on the other side? Uh, he has uh, shown a propensity to know how to uh, take good care of himself and give himself up when he thinks he's going to get hit badly. That's uh, I'm not too concerned about that, but if you're concerned about like quick rushes up the middle that fluster him, then y you have a, a problem uh, uh, there. And uh, Josh Jones, their rookie offensive tackle from Houston, I can't believe he slid that far to the third round. I interviewed him at the Senior Bowl. I think he's going to have a golden opportunity to grab the starting job in training camp to take that left or right tackle spot. Yeah, that was one of the best teams he could have gone to, especially when you're getting drafted in the third round as an offensive lineman. By no means is that a guaranteed starting spot anywhere. But Jones going to Arizona, where they, that's their thinnest position group, Ideal, ideal landing spot, and if he can if he can prove himself to be either a left or a right tackle for them, he can be one of the favorite sons in Phoenix. Yes, and another big storyline for the Cardinals I'm watching is what they do with Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons uh, is like the quintessential modern-day NFL defender. Like, he doesn't play a single position really well, but you can line him up in multiple spots, and he can do an exceptional job everywhere, but it's all about how to utilize him, and the problem is, is that their defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, given what he did with the Broncos, I'm not sure I could trust him to utilize Isaiah Simmons to the best of his ability, and how he uses him, I think, will be a tremendous difference between the improvement of the Cardinals' defense and the improvement the Cardinals' defense is able to make, I think, could be the difference between whether they're a wild-card playoff team or not. Yeah, uh, Isaiah Simmons came out and said that you know he was built to cover George Kittle, and we're going to find out week one. Week one, the 49ers and Cardinals face off, and can Simmons bottle up the new $75 million man? Uh, it'd be very interesting to see how Vance Joseph uses him. 
Uh, yes, and uh, I still don't quite trust him. Do you? I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. It's going to be the first because this is going to be his first year in Arizona, correct, Vance Joseph? Yep. I know his second year in in, second in Arizona. Year. Second year, yeah, that's right. Second year in Arizona. It's just, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to pull it off. Uh, I want to see him do it, but as, as a Niners guy, I want to see him fail. But you know, <laughs> as as a fan of football and as a fan of good quality football, I want to see him succeed. I don't know if he has a creative ability to do it. Uh, it's a jack of all trades kind of player, and I just hope they don't square peg round hole him and just try and make him be an off ball linebacker, one hundred percent of the time. Uh, yes, because uh, one week they'll have to have him cover George Kittle, but when they're playing the Seahawks, they might have to use him as a spy on Russell Wilson. He could do good at both. Correct. Isaiah Simmons has the ability to do just about anything you need him to do. It really comes down to can Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, utilize him properly and get him in the spots that are going to make him succeed because. You know, they, they say that great coach, they say good coaches draft players to fit their scheme. Great coaches fit their scheme to their players. And this is going to be a, a, a question of can Vance Joseph fit his scheme to work with Isaiah Simmons? And now moving on to the AFC West with the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. They have brought the band back together, they have re signed a lot of key players in recent weeks. Uh, including uh, Patrick Mahomes to that historic contract uh, to run it back, as they say. They want to repeat as Super Bowl champions. And the biggest training camp storyline I'm watching, as far as the Chiefs are concerned, is Clyde edwards helaire who is my favorite running back in this year's draft class. They selected him with the 32nd overall pick. This guy is a do-it-all running back who is absolutely hard to tackle, man. He is, like, impossible to tackle. His balance is just ridiculous. And I think the dimension that he adds to that Chiefs offense will make it even more dangerous. So, uh, and Lewis Riddick has been hearing that uh, Clyde edwards helaire is working his way into that uh, lead running back job, especially with David Williams choosing not to play this season due to COVID-19. So, how Clyde edwards helaire um, uh, picks up that playbook, and if he's able to secure that top running back job, he is a first-round uh, pick in your fantasy drafts and he could make this Chiefs offense extra scarier. I absolutely hate drafting running backs in the first round. I can't stand it. I think it is such a waste of a pick. But let me tell you why I love this pick so much of the Kansas City Chiefs. They had just won the Super Bowl. They had very few holes across that entire roster. There's almost no one that they were in desperate need of replacing. Getting a, getting a running back that reminds me a little bit of a young Brian Westbrook that Andy Reid is very familiar with, a guy that is just as equally dangerous in the passing game as he is as a runner. It's it's scary to think that, that Mahomes is getting another weapon like that to utilize because that offense was already stacked. But the biggest, the biggest storyline to me is they had a lot of players opt out. At least three big names opt out. When you, talk, you talked about Damian Williams. They also lost their guard, Laurent Duvernay Tardif. I'm sorry if I butchered that. I'm trying to run through it. And uh, Lucas Niang as well, the rookie. That's tough. And, and, and do they have the depth on the offensive line to survive injuries if, if they get hit hard? Because Mahomes is far and away not dependent on his offensive line to succeed. But obviously that offense is going to operate at a much higher level if the front if the front five guys are healthy and ready to go. And moving on to my Denver Broncos, and uh, what do you think is the biggest trading camp storyline for my Broncos? You get the first crack at this. Ooh, Drew Locke. Can Drew Locke be the quarterback that I want him to be? Because I am a big Drew Locke guy. I love 
the way he plays the game. And I'm hoping he can take that next big step because if he can, the Denver Broncos can be one of those teams that really sneak up on people and go a lot further than people think they can go. I like the receivers. I love their pick of Jerry Judy in the first round. I think he was the most NFL ready wide receiver. It's awesome to see him go to a team like that. Philip Lindsay, you know, they picked up Melvin Gordon. They have the guys on offense that can really make that go, but they need Drew Locke to be the man in Denver. Oh, they most certainly do. And, uh, Come to think of it, uh, I preferred CeeDee Lamb over Jerry Judy, but uh, come to think of it, uh, Cortland Sutton, he has a skill set that's pretty similar to CeeDee Lamb's, and they wanted somebody who's more of an opposite or a complement to Cortland mm-hmm. Sutton, and, and Jerry Judy, I think, fit that bill perfectly. Jerry Judy's going to move the chains for you. He's not. He, I say he's not super flashy. He does have some flash to his game, but he's very consistent. He's going to catch you first downs on third down passes, and that's exactly what you need for a young quarterback is a dependent, dependable wide receiver target that can convert third downs for you. And uh, he could catch his fair share of deep balls as well, and uh, he's more explosive than you think. And mm-hmm. uh, I, think, uh, uh, I think he compares quite favorably to like uh, Reggie Wayne or Amari Cooper. Yeah, I can see that. I can absolutely see Reggie Wayne. Uh, Reggie Wayne, not, not a guy that was known for speed necessarily, but just the way he ran his routes was able to create separation and and be such a huge target for Peyton Manning for years. If Jerry Judy can be that for Drew Locke, it'd be it, you know it'd be nice to see, especially in Denver, who has already had their their fair share of Peyton Manning. Oh yes, and a big thing I'm watching at Broncos camp is Bradley Chubb. Like, how well is he? recovering from that uh, torn ACL because if Bradley Chubb uh, recovers and can pick up where he left off of uh, in his rookie season, uh, that the Broncos defense could be extra scarier this year. Even with Von Miller at, at 31 right now, if Bradley Chubb can rediscover what he did his rookie season, the Broncos could have a scary pass rush with uh, him and Von and don't forget Jarrell Casey in the middle now who they stole arguably from the Titans. Yeah, the seventh-round pick to get Jarrell Casey was just uh, highway robbery. Highway robbery for that. Um, but you, you got to love the idea of Bradley Chubb and Von Miller being healthy together again. And like we said about the Seattle Seahawks, if you can't get after the quarterback, your defense is in trouble. I don't care who you are. So if the, if the Denver Broncos can get those guys healthy and, and working together again, that's that's, that's a good deal for Fangio on defense. And moving to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I am not going to butcher that. Uh, A lot of people are probably going to still say (laughs) Oakland, but folks, it is the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, the biggest thing I'm watching is that offense. Drew Locke, uh, Dave Brugler said the most powerful player in the NFL to Drew Locke was Derek Carr. And just like the Broncos did with uh, Drew Locke to give him the weapons he needed to up his game, uh, Derek Carr is a very similar quarterback in that he needs to be surrounded with high-quality weapons. And you get uh, two rookies in Henry Ruggs who will divert safety's attentions away from Josh Jacobs due to his speed, and Brian Edwards, who they took in the third round, who might be the uh, start starter on the boundary uh, come week one for the Raiders. So I want to see how the passing game weapons uh, come along because if these passing game weapons can um, really find their footing early on, uh, that could mean uh, Josh Jacobs' uh, fantasy stock goes even higher because uh, he's still going to be the fulcrum of that offense even with these approved weapons in the passing game. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Can they get the ball to Henry Ruggs down the field? That's the biggest question I have for Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota, whichever one we end up seeing, because there's already rumblings that Mariota may end up take over for Derek Carr halfway through the year. Uh, John Gruden has not had a chance to handpick his own quarterback yet. And that's what a lot of what we're seeing right now is he's dealing with what he was, what he inherited when he took over the job. Uh, but Brian Edwards out of South Carolina was one of my favorite mid round wide receivers. I love this kid. I think he's going to be a stud at the next level. And I think if either one of these quarterbacks, whether it be Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota can get it together and just trust their weapons and get them the ball in space, rugs, Edwards, Josh Jacobs, that's who this offense is going to run through. They just need Carr and Mariota to be pretty good. Not great, not super good, just just pretty good. And their offense will move. And last but not least, we go to the Los Angeles Chargers. And uh, obviously a big trading camp storyline, even though he's unlikely to start the season, has got to be the development in Justin Herbert and how quickly he could pick up the offense because Tyrod Taylor is just a bridge. Uh, because uh, if uh, the offense sputters or the season goes south, they're going to probably want to put Justin Herbert in. Absolutely, because their defense is really good for the Chargers. I want to say I almost had San Diego there, and then I just again, you know, a little, <laughs> a little <laughs> old, old habits die hard, right? No, their defense in LA is really, really good. Can their offense just survive? And I think that even Tyrod Taylor can give them a better chance than Philip Rivers did to win last year, because. Philip Rivers was bad last year. Like I, I watched him play, and he was not good. He can't push the ball down the field anymore. Tyrod Taylor obviously is not a world beater, but he managed to take the Buffalo Bills to the first playoff appearance in almost 20 years, three years ago when he was in Buffalo. He's proven he can win games. He's not going to be a guy that's super flashy while he does it, but again, he's just a guy that has to be pretty good, and they can rely on the running game and Austin Eckler. They can rely on hopefully Hunter Henry being healthy this year. I really hope so. I love watching Hunter Henry play. I really hope he stays healthy this year. Um, it's just, can can Tyrod Taylor just be enough of a bridge, enough of a stopgap to keep the Chargers competitive this year? Yes, that defense should keep them competitive in the vast majority of games, especially that secondary, which is loaded now. you got Derwood James healthy. You bring in Chris Harris Jr., who's still got two years of high-quality ball left, in my opinion, along with Casey Hayward and, and, and Desmond King. Oh, my God, that could be the best secondary in football with Bosa Egram coming off the edge. And uh, if uh, Kenneth Murray could get things figured out uh, quickly, which is a big if given how raw he is, but uh, he'll, he should improve the middle of that Chargers defense uh, because mm-hmm. he, uh, he is uh, reportedly a, uh, a very good student of the game, so to speak, which is why the Chargers and many teams coveted him. So that defense could be the real deal. But the question is, Tyrod Taylor, are you up, up to the task? And if not, it could be Justin Herbert time sooner than expected. Yeah, I hope Herbert gets a year to sit because I think if any of the rookie quarterbacks can can utilize a year to sit the most, I think it's Herbert. Oh, absolutely, especially with COVID-19. He's not going to develop a lot of chemistry, and given how raw he is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Chargers, I think, are, are probably best to put their cards with Tyrod Taylor and keep Herbert uh, on the side. But if the season goes sour, you have to play him. Absolutely. If you get to halfway through the year and you're already out of, out of playoff contention, you're sitting one, two, three wins, whatever it is, you got to throw the rookie in there. Worst case scenario, what? He brings you back and maybe you get in contention again. You got to let him learn. And uh, I just hope that – I really just hope that the Chargers can stay healthy this year. I'm really – that team has been bit harder by the injury bug every single season. And I just really hope they can stay healthy because I like 
I like the team. I like the roster. I like the coaching staff. I hope they can succeed. I don't like the owners. I don't like the span eye, but I want to see the Chargers team succeed. Absolutely. As as big as a Broncos fan I am, I just feel so bad for them. They've just been snake bit with injuries every single year. It's just been disheartening to watch. May they stay healthy even during COVID-19, football gods. Please give us the best possible version <laughs> of the Chargers we can get. And now moving on to the NFC North with the defending NFC North champion Green Bay Packers. And uh, I think the big question has to be Aaron Rodgers. Is he is he really losing a step? Or did the pack are the Packers still committing malpractice by not putting enough weapons around him? What is that? I think that is the biggest storyline I'm paying attention to as far as the Packers are concerned. One hundred percent. That's exactly it. It's it's and I think it's a little column A, little column B. I think the Packers could have helped him stay on course if they would just draft a single wide receiver in one of the deepest wide receiver classes that the NFL draft has ever seen. They didn't take one. Their biggest their biggest addition was Devin Funches, and he has opted out of this year. They've done Aaron Rodgers exactly no favors. The offensive line is another year older. They are just they they are going to continue to face really good pass rushes all year long. I expect the Packers to take a giant step back, and it is no I, I it's no fault of Aaron Rodgers. It's no fault of Aaron Rodgers. He's he's coming into his I believe his year thirty six season. Yep. It's going to be 36 this year, so you can't expect him to carry the team like he has for the last decade. You can't expect that anymore. The Packers have just failed him, and I think they're going to take a big step back this year. Yeah, and especially considering the fact that that 13-3 record was made possible by a substantial record uh, in their favor in one-score games, and those records usually regress to the mean uh, the following year. So uh, that's a big reason why we have to expect the Packers to take somewhat of a step backward and now to the Minnesota Vikings who are my early pick to win this division uh, personally yeah you traded Stephon Diggs but uh, Justin Jefferson I think is a perfect fit for this offense but I think the bigger concern is on defense uh, because uh, you said goodbye to a lot of people with uh, Everson Griffin obviously who signed with the Cowboys this week and um, and Xavier Rhodes and uh, Trey Waynes uh your secondary at the pass rush opposite to Neil Hunter, uh, you got a lot of uh, young players on that defense that are going to have to step up big time. Absolutely, absolutely. The question marks will always be pointed at Kirk Cousins, right? From the outside, from the national media, they're always going to say, well, what, what can Kirk Cousins do for us? You know, how far is he going to take this team? But really, they've, they've relied on their defense to be super solid the last couple of years. And, and now they've said goodbye, like you said, to a lot of pieces this offseason. And can they replicate that success? And Zimmer being a defensive guy, you know, you hope you can see it, but also they're working with a new offensive coordinator. Stefanski took the job in Cleveland. So there's a lot of turnover in Minnesota this year. And my big question is how do they weather all of that change, all of that change in an offseason where they don't have the same kind of togetherness and they didn't get OTAs and they didn't get rookie mini camps. They didn't get coaches to get their hands on the players all the time. So how do they, how do they weather all of this change in a year where change is a bad thing? Oh, absolutely. But for the record on offense, I think it's more of a continuity because Gary Kubiak is the offensive coordinator. He was uh, the assistant head coach offense. That was his title last year for the Vikings. So I don't think the offense should be that big of a problem in terms of scheme for the Vikings this year. But you said it, the change is plenty on defense and this is not a good year to be undergoing a lot of change. And now to the Chicago Bears and everybody is going to be focused on arguably who's the starting quarterback week one. Is it Mr. Trubisky or Nick Foles? 
I wouldn't be surprised if it's Nick Foles at all because uh, uh, Nick Foles um, played for under Bill Lazor, the current Bears offensive coordinator. He played under Matt Nagy and John Filippo, the Bears quarterback's coach, was his quarterback's coach for the Eagles when he won that Super Bowl. So I think Nick Foles couldn't have found a better place to land than Chicago personally, and it wouldn't shock me if he started week one and he wins the job in camp these next couple weeks over Trubisky. Oh, yeah, I think it's Nick Foles' job to lose. I mean, Mr. Trubisky has just been so bad, so bad, and is just – he was overdrafted. He wasn't. He was. He wasn't scouted enough. The team traded up to get him. It was. I think it was a mistake to do it. Um, but my biggest question is on the defensive side of the ball. They have a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. Can a guy like Khalil Mack get back to what he is and the terror that he can be? Um, it's crazy to say he had eight and a half sacks last year, but that was a career low after his rookie year. Can't they? They, they gave up so much draft capital to get Khalil Mack. They need him to step back up and be that dominant, dominant player that he has been in the past if they want their defense to succeed. Oh, you're absolutely right, but uh, I am not going to take all the blame off Khalil Mack's shoulders, but a lot of that could be attributed to the fact that Leonard Floyd was uh, the edge rusher opposite him, and Akeem Hicks uh, only played for like a quarter of the season, and then he was out. But not only do you get Akeem Hicks back in the middle, you get now Robert Quinn, Mm-hmm. Rushing the passer opposite Khalil Mack, and he is an upgrade from Leonard Floyd. I think Khalil Mack bounces back this year as long as Hicks and um, Quinn and him stay healthy. I hope so, and I hope that the, that his his uh, step back, his regression a little bit, wasn't also because of Fangio. Because as a Denver guy and as a 49ers guy, we love Fangio. Big fan of his defense and what he can do, and we've always seen when he leaves a place, the defense takes a massive step back. So hopefully the whole defense – in Chicago can regroup and step back and, and and take another step forward this year. Yep, it's on you, Chuck Pagano. Make it happen. And last but not least, the Detroit Lions. And uh, it's hard to come up with a good storyline for the Lions. Just uh, the Lions, I think, were one of the more unlucky teams last year because if it wasn't for Stafford's injury, they could have been contending for a playoff spot. Absolutely. Stafford's can still play. And Stafford's one of those guys that I, I don't believe gets the respect that he deserves across the NFL, the national media, everything. Matt Stafford is a really good quarterback. I would take him, I would put him in the top 10 for quarterbacks right now. If he can stay healthy, that, that the Lions team is going to be good. My biggest my biggest storyline for the for the Lions is, is this Matt Patricia's last year? Because we saw Darius Slay get traded from the Lions to the Eagles and then just immediately start talking bad about the culture in Detroit and how things are and how he tries to be totalitarian and he tries to be Bill Belichick, but he's not Bill Belichick. And is this just the latest line, the latest in a long line of failures from the Belichick tree? Uh, yes, but there might be an exception to that rule as we headed to another division, but we will uh, leave it right there. Yep. This is put up or shut up time for Matt Patricia. And now moving on to the AFC North with the team that had the best regular season record in the NFL last year in the Baltimore Ravens. And while uh, the defensive line they put together with uh, Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf coming in is attractive, the biggest storyline I think has to be Lamar Jackson. How big of a step forward as a passer as a passer does he take this year? I think that has got to be the biggest concern with the Baltimore Ravens. If if the biggest concern is how does the MVP improve his game, you're in a good spot as a franchise. But I, I 100% agree with you. Is he was a top for fantasy football last year. He was a top 12 quarterback and a top 12 running back. 
I think that John Harbaugh would rather see him kind of mold back into the quarterback stuff. They don't want him to run for his entire career because you're going to take hits. As good as Lamar Jackson is, is avoiding hits, you're going to take them. And I think they would rather see him grow and develop as a passer, not necessarily a pocket passer, but just a passer so they can rely more on that than him making plays 10, 15 yards down the field with his legs. Yeah, and especially since defensive coordinators have had a full year to now study that film and uh, they're going to be caught up. So the question is, how when the defense is zig, how does uh, Lamar and Greg Roman uh, zag? And mm-hmm. the best way to zag is for him to take that next step forward as a passer. But another thing that I'm watching in Ravens cap, uh, we didn't fully appreciate how much Mark Ingram meant to that offense last year until he got um, hurt. Uh, and couldn't play in that wildcard playoff game, and because he got hurt, the offense fell apart. And to mitigate that problem, that's why they picked J.K. Dobbins in the second round. So if Mark Ingram gets hurt, J.K. Dobbins could pick off right where Ingram in that running game uh, left off. So uh, there might not be that big of a drop-off between the first and second running back, which is super important for an offense like the Ravens. So the sooner J.K. Dobbins gets ready, the more margin of error the offense is going to have. Absolutely. And depth at running back is never a bad thing to have. And again... I'm not big on drafting running backs high, but when your offense is so built around the running game and we saw how that injury to Mark Ingram really set them back, those are moves you have to make. And and, and Dobbins can come in and fit that running style almost to a T. So that, that's, that's a great move by the Ravens in the offseason. And now to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And arguably nobody did a better job coaching last year than Mike Tomlin uh, given the injury to Big Ben. But now Big Ben is back. But the question is, how much does he have left of the take? That's arguably the biggest storyline I'm following in Pittsburgh. But uh, almost as big a storyline is um, who does he throw to? And I think that the one of the big breakout stars at wide receiver this year, the NFL, could be Deontay Johnson. I like Deontay Johnson. And I think that if Juju Smith-Schuster can, can step back up as he's now plays with his normal quarterback, quote-unquote normal quarterback, um, Deontay Johnson can really take that next step. And if he can it can extend the juice left in Roethlisberger's career because that is easily, easily the biggest worry for Yinzers right now is how much does Ben have left because he's teased retirement for the last four or five years. Where he's like, ah, maybe I'll come. Ah, maybe, 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 maybe. If he comes back from this injury and he can play at a, at a, at a good level, Deontay Johnson is going to be one of the biggest benefactors to that. Yes, yeah, that Steelers defense, which is going to be – uh, another rock star unit again this year. They b- better be hoping that Ben can take as much pressure off them as possible because they carried the weight of that team on their shoulders all season last year, and they want relief and they need relief. Absolutely, those are guys you got to get off the field. You can't just keep putting it on them, put the onus on them every single week. They need some help. They need a breath. They need a breather. And the Cleveland Browns and. Uh, I the biggest storyline has to be Baker Mayfield. It's put up for shut up time because they got you an offensive court, a better head coach, an offensive mind that suits your skill set better, Kevin Stefanski, and you now have help at tackle with Jedrick Wills, the rookie at left tackle, and Jack Conklin at right tackle. You now have an offensive line in front of you with all those weapons you have with Nick Chubb running the ball and that great scheme that Stefanski is bringing over. You're out of excuses. If you don't produce this year, the Browns are going to be looking for your replacement. Put up or shut up time for Baker Mayfield. That is it. 
That is that should be the only story that anyone is talking about in Cleveland right now because, like you said, they have improved everything around him. The offensive line got better. The coaching got better. The scheme got better. He still has all those dangerous weapons in OBJ and Jarvis Landry on the outside. They still have David Njoku. They brought in Austin Hooper. You're talking about that is a stacked team. There's a stacked team from the from the weapon standpoint. They have Kareem Hunt, too. Oh, my goodness. They, this team is just it, – it's coming out the ears with the weapons they have. Baker Mayfield needs to put it together. This is all on Baker Mayfield this year. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's all on him. And last but not least, the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think the most natural storyline will be Joe Burrow, and rightfully so. Uh, very few people had the season he had at LSU last year, arguably the best college football season by a quarterback ever in Joe Burrow. And I am very bullish on Joe Burrow long-term in the NFL. I think he could grow into a top uh, 10 quarterback within the next two years. Uh, but I think an even bigger concern for the Bagels is can Zach Taylor bring out the best in him? And I'm not sure I'm sold on Zach Taylor as a head coach because if Burrow flounders this year and doesn't show any signs of promise, Bengals might have to get him a new coach. Absolutely. Zach Taylor is one of those guys that got hired because he once held a coffee cup that Sean McVay had. And, and right after the Rams made the Super Bowl, that was a thing. Everybody went after Sean McVay disciples, thinking that they are the next young, hot, great, hot take coach that they wanted. And Zach Taylor was one of the top guys to do that. And it's just, I didn't like the hire at the time. I didn't like going after coaches like that. I always think that you shouldn't, you should find coaches that, that fit what you're trying to do and not necessarily just go after the hot thing that's out there. Joe Burrow is actually not even my favorite quarterback from the draft class. I think he's going to struggle in Cincinnati because that is one of the teams is the most devoid of talent across the board. It's, it's just a team that's probably going to be drafting in the top five again next year, regardless of how good Joe Burrow plays. Cause I don't think they have a ton of talent on defense. Is this Zach Taylor's last year? Are we going to see something similar to, you know, Freddie Kitchens, where he just gets replaced because he couldn't develop a young quarterback early in his career. And moving on to the NFC East, starting with the defending division champion Eagles. And uh, uh, there's just so many question marks with Philly this year, but I think a big one I'm watching is the wide receiver position because, uh, yeah, Deshaun Jackson, they say he's healthy now, but keep in mind he's getting along the tooth. Jalen Ray, or their first-round pick, they're going to need as big an impact from him as possible this year because they were playing with um, duct tape and plastic wrap at wide receiver for much of last year, given all the injuries. And Alshon Jeffrey, he's getting old. Uh, they're going to need Jalen Rager to take that wide receiver room by the horns as soon as possible this year for the Eagles to have a chance of repeating as division champs. 100%. And, and the, I'm going to focus the my attention on, on Carson Wentz. Can he stay healthy? Yep. Can he stay healthy? Because he has not been able to do it throughout his entire career. I think Carson Wentz is a top five quarterback in the league. I think he rounds out in top five. When he is on and he is healthy, he is incredible. Last year's numbers took a dip because, you, like you said, <laughs> duct taped and, and, and wishes and prayers is all they were playing with at wide receiver last year. So he finally has some weapons on the outside and, and you know, they have Ertz and Goddard as tight ends. They can run a lot of two tight end sets and just confuse everybody and use that to their advantage. Can Carson Wentz stay healthy and get this team to make a, a deep playoff run? The NFC East is completely, completely wide open this year. So they need Carson Wentz to stay healthy. 
Uh, that obviously is the big wild card in Philadelphia, but assuming Carson Wentz can stay healthy um, for the regular season, he's going to need Jalen Rager to step up big time to take that offense to a new level. And now the Dallas Cowboys, and after stealing, stealing CeeDee Lamb in the first mm-hmm. round with the 17th overall pick, Dak Prescott now has the best weapons out of any quarterback in football, in my opinion. He, It's the best Wide receiver threesome in football right now with Amari Cooper and uh, Michael Gallup in the slot and CeeDee Lamb, who you could exchange with Gallup or Cooper. You could That is such a dangerous receiving court. you still got Zeke Elliott in the backfield, and now you got Everson Griffin and to go along with Jill McCoy and Demarcus Lawrence on that defensive line and, and the other talent on that defense. Are you kidding me? Cowboys, if you screw it up this year, I'm calling for Jerry Jones to sell the team. <laughs> Mike McCarthy. That's my big story. Can Mike McCarthy step up and and have his voice heard again because it wasn't heard the last couple of years he was in Green Bay. And I mean you said it, the weapons they have on offense, the talent they have on defense. And I'm actually you didn't even mention, but I really like Blake Jarwin at tight end. I think he can be not an elite league guy, but I think he can be a guy that gets you 30, 40 catches a year and comes up with big catches. He's athletic enough after the catch. I like Blake Jarwin a lot. Mike McCarthy, can he get the team to buy into what he wants to do? Because if he can't, that is going to be such a cluster in Dallas and and <laughs> You, you can call for Jerry to sell a team all you want, but Jerry's never Jerry's going to die in that owner's booth. He's never selling that team. Of course he is. He's definitely not selling that <laughs> team, but a, a reason to be skeptical about Mike McCarthy being able to do what Jason Garrett could not is because Jerry Jones, as Michael Labari said, he wants the head coach to be like his play toy. Yeah, that's such a toxic relationship between owner and, and head coach there that Really, it's it's my old man's a fan of the Buffalo Bills, and he said they were never going to win until Ralph Wilson died because Ralph Wilson was never going to be able to do what they needed him to do because he wanted to have full control. Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys might be in the same boat that until Jerry Jones relinquishes some some of that power, they're going to be in trouble. They most certainly are, but they are going to be wasting a boatload of talent if they do not make big noise this year, not just in the regular season, but hopefully into the playoffs as well. And now the New York Giants, you got the first year of the Joe Judge uh, era, and I think the theme that we have to have for the Giants this year is patience because Daniel Jones, uh, or Steely Dan as we call him on the show, remember, <laughs> uh, he played a lot better than we expected him to his rookie year, but now learning a new offensive system with uh, a young offensive line with Andrew Thomas coming in and probably Matt Pert or somebody else at right tackle because Nate Solder's not playing this year. Uh, and uh, not a lot of weapons on offense outside of Saquon Barkley and maybe Darius Slayton. So um, at, a, at a defense that's being entirely rebuilt, the Giants are a, are, are a rebuilding team, and I think we have to express patience with them right now. Yeah, patience is probably the best tactic to take with the Giants. And I actually like Sterling Shepard as a wide receiver as well um, for, for Danny Dimes, Steely Dan, whatever we want to call him. Uh, my biggest my biggest thing with the, the Giants is they drafted – is another reason why I don't like drafting running backs so high. They drafted Saquon Barkley so high, second overall. He has been absolutely 110% worth it, but he hasn't translated into wins. Could they not have taken someone else that would help their team more 
to build for the future because it, are they, it seems like the Giants are wasting the best years of Saquon Barkley's career by putting him on a bad team with a bad offensive line, with a rookie quarterback, and they're just asking him to take a beating week after week after week. And we saw last year when he got hurt that offense almost grinds to a halt when he's not in it. So are they wasting Saquon Barkley's best years because they just decided to rebuild and draft a running back second overall? Yep, that could probably go down as one of the biggest mistakes in franchise history, drafting Saquon Barkley number two, especially if uh, Sam Darnold um, gets to be a great quarterback, and we'll talk about him in a bit. And now, the Washington TBD. They currently call themselves the <laughs> Washington football team, but that's not going to be their name after this season. Uh, they finally got rid of the name in the wake of the uh, racial... Um, awareness that has been brought to this country given the events uh, of the summer, especially in terms of police brutality and uh, systemic racism in uh, law enforcement and criminal justice. So Washington couldn't have picked a better time to to get rid of that name, but uh, they're the Washington TBDs right now, and I can't wait to see that defensive line with uh, Chase Young. Uh, he might be one of the best pass rushers. He could be the best pass rusher of this decade. Um, he is that special. And putting him on a defensive line with Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Ryan Kerrigan, Matt Ioannidis. Oh, my God. They're, they could be just as good as the 49ers were in terms of the defensive line last year. But that position group alone, they could keep Washington competitive in most of their games. Absolutely. That defensive line is one of my favorite in football. They, they are doing the exact same thing. They are loading up on first-round picks. They're getting all that talent. Uh, Jonathan Allen, my mom was his guidance counselor when he was in high school, so Jonathan Allen's like a special place in my heart for that. Uh, Chase Young, you, you, you ran through all the names. That is such an immense amount of talent up front. But my biggest, my biggest story for the Washington football team, Alex Smith was cleared for football activities. Miracle. That Talk man- about a miracle. That a man miracle. is going to be able to play football again, which I, I personally, he's a he's a grown man. I'm never going to tell Alex Smith what to do. I would not want to be on the team that puts him in a position where he can ever take a hit again. But if Alex Smith wants to and he wants to be out on that field, he can do it. Everybody forgets that in 2018, the Washington football team was 6-3 and three with Alex Smith. They were They were heading to the playoffs. The NFC East was floundering. They couldn't put it together. That was a playoff team. And then they went through Mark Sanchez and Josh Johnson and Colt McCoy and pretty much every terrible backup that it just gets washed, rinse, repeat in the NFL. The Washington football team went through it. There was a playoff team with Alex Smith before his injury. If Alex Smith can come back and play, can the Washington football team be a dark horse contender for the playoffs with the expanded playoffs this year. Stud defense, brand new head coach in Riverboat Ron Burgundy. Yeah. Alex Smith at the helm. They have weapons on offense. I actually like this football team on paper. On paper. If Alex Smith can be that can be the quarterback and play even at 70% of what he was doing in 2018. Yeah, but I, be- I believe in Dwayne Haskins. I do, but Alex Smith is just that guy that can kind of coach this young team to the playoffs from the quarterback spot. 
Yeah, especially if uh, Dwayne Haskins uh, struggles uh, with the offensive trading cap. And Ron Rivera, I believe, implied that he would, uh, especially with COVID, uh, he'd be um, willing to have Haskins sit if need be. So uh, that is definitely a situation to monitor. And now to the AFC East, the Tom Brady-less New England Patriots said, obviously, it's who's going to start a quarterback. Will it be Jared Siddham or will it be Cam Newton, who they signed for the cheap? Uh, just uh, several weeks before trading cap, uh, I uh, wouldn't be surprised if actually Jared Stidham actually does win that job, uh, given the fact that Cam Newton, um, uh, given all the questions about his health and how much he has left in the tank. Yeah, so my my thing was going to be is is how long is Cam Newton's shoulder last before before he starts to see issues with it? Because I think it's Cam's job. I, I I don't think there's a competition there. Cam Newton, he's he's working out to gospel music in the offseason, which is terrifying if you're ever going to play Cam Newton because that is just such a motivating thing to do. And, man, if, if Cam Newton can get back to not even his MVP, not even his MVP year, but if he can just be most of what that was, the New England Patriots can just continue to win football games with the best coach in NFL history and just – cruise through a weak division. I should say, I shouldn't say cruise through because we're going to get to one of the teams I actually really, really like, but they're, they're going to be able to make the playoffs. And what I perceive is across the board, a weaker AFC than NFC. It definitely is. And I definitely will not be surprised if the Patriots are able to make the playoffs. If Cam Newton can stay healthy and rediscover a lot of his past game. But if uh, he stays healthy and it's, and he's washed, like some people fear, then it's a whole new ball game there. And absolutely. To the other team that you were probably referencing, the Buffalo Bills, who are arguably the favorites to win in the Tom Brady vs. AFC East right now, but as deeply, insanely talented as this team is, that defense is one of the top three in the NFL, and uh, getting Stephon Diggs on offense uh, just makes that offense dangerous, but it all depends on you, Josh Allen. Do you take a big step forward this year? Or do you prove to be another waste of a first-round top-10 quarterback pick like Mitchell Trubisky does? And there are a lot of reasons to be concerned with Josh Allen because he's exceeded my expectations so far. But at the end, he's got to learn how to read the entire field. He's got to learn how to stay in the pocket and deliver accurate balls, especially accurate deep balls with that big arm of his. So, Josh Allen, it's all on you. If you don't take that big step forward this year... Bills might have to look in another direction because just like with Baker Mayfield Cleveland for Josh Allen, it's now put up or shut up time. Absolutely. No arguments here. It's all on Josh Allen now, but I like Josh Allen more than Baker Mayfield for the single reason is that that team absolutely loves Josh Allen. The Buffalo Bills love Josh Allen. The actual football players love him because that guy is a gamer. He refuses to lose. And I look at my favorite, one of my favorite games to watch last year was the Buffalo Bills against the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Because Josh Allen just willed them to a win. He was not going to lose that day. I don't care what happened. Josh Allen was not going to take an L on that day. And he did everything he had to do to get them over the hump. That's why I like Josh Allen. That's why I like him. I think he is just a gamer that refuses to lose. Refuses to lose. And if he can, if he can, if he can take that next step, Buffalo is going to be a very good team for a long time. They just extended Sean McDermott. They just extended their tackle, Deion Dawkins. They put the money in. They have committed to winning. This is a good football team. I want to see them continue to succeed. And they drafted one of my big, big draft crushes. And they got him for a steal 
in the second round with AJ Epinesa oh. from Iowa. I think he's going to slot in fantastically on that defensive line. Oh my God. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, if there is anything to pick apart of that Bills defense, it's the edge rush position, but AJ Epinesa could put that issue to bed almost from the start because he is a polished high motor player that is going to just, he's not a freak athlete by any means, but he's the typical hard hat, lunch pail, Sean McDermott type of player that should feast in that defense. He fits in Buffalo 100%. He most certainly does. And now to the laughing stock of the AFC East, <laughs> the New York Jets, uh, the, 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 uh, with them trading away Jamal Adams, it's a symbol of just how toxic that culture is. Players just hate the owner there especially given uh, uh, the owner's uh, brother's uh, racist comments by the Johnsons that own the Jets. Uh, the, the owner, Woody Johnson, he's technically not the owner now because he's currently serving as a bastard in the UK. He was recorded giving racist comments at uh, his brother, Chris. Uh, uh, but Woody still technically owns the team and the players hate him and they absolutely despise Adam Gase. That is just a toxic culture there. And... Uh, and I am not looking for them to make noise, but that said, uh, Adam Gase, I assume, is going to get fired after this year, but Sam Darnold, you're going to have to show a lot of progress this year, but in order to help him show progress, Denzel Mims, I'm looking at you, my man from the Senior Bowl, you just stole the show at the Senior Bowl at the Combine, and you were drafted by the Jets, in my opinion, at a bargain rate late in the second round. Denzel Mims is going to have to rise to the top of that receiver room automatically to give Sam Darnold some help, because I uh, don't think I'm not a big, the biggest Brashad Perriman fan. And Jamison Crowder is good, but not great. They need explosiveness in that receiver room. And the only guy who brings it is Denzel Mims. Without Denzel Mims, I am not sure how Sam Darnold can uh, improve this year. Yeah, my biggest question is, do the Jets completely ruin Sam Darnold's career? Oh, my God. And just completely flush it down the toilet with Adam Gase and the way they've handled him. And I don't know. I don't know. That's that's my biggest question mark is is when is Adam Gase fired? Because I think the I think the low end of the spectrum you could be looking at week four, because they play the San Francisco 49ers in week three. And let me tell you what: if the 49ers go in and did what they did to the New York Jets the last time they played, the last time they played, I believe they won like 35 nothing, 35 10, something like that. They went and just absolutely lambasted them. And it was a Rex Ryan coach team. They went and lambasted the Jets. If they go and do that again. I wouldn't be surprised to just like let's hit the reset button. Let's get this let's get this whole thing out of the way. This is a wash season and they just fire Adam Gase on the spot. So when is Adam Gase fired? Is my is my big my big storyline for the for training camp. Uh yes, the only hope I see with the Jets right now is Joe Douglas. He's a very good uh, uh talent evaluator and as GM you ha the owner has to give him full range of that club. He just has to. It has to be the Joe Douglas show for the Jets in order for the Jets to really build back up uh, with uh, Sam Darnold, hopefully. And now to the Miami Dolphins, where Brian Flores so far is proving to be the exception to the rule of Bill Belichick disciples who fail as head coaches elsewhere. Brian Flores looks like he could be the exception to that rule, but a lot of it is going to depend on Tua Tungavoy-Loa. And I wouldn't be surprised if Brian Fitzpatrick starts the year, but uh, all signs point to that we will see Tua eventually this year. And the question is, how soon? How soon indeed? That is my only question for this Miami Dolphins team, which I actually like. I like this Miami Dolphins team. I'm glad you brought up that Flores was from the Belichick tree because Flores is one of my favorite head coaches. It's not very often you get to sit here and say that the team went 5-11 and 11 
completely exceeded expectations. But that Miami Dolphins team last year exceeded all expectations. They were tanking for Tua the whole time. They still get him at the fifth overall pick. Tua is my number one quarterback this year over Joe Burrow in a draft. I think Tua is electric. I think he has the ability to do it. When does he start? That's the big question. And moving on to the super competitive NFC South with the New Orleans Saints and what will likely be Drew Brees' final season, especially if it gets completed uh, in spite of COVID. This will be Drew Brees' last season. So uh, the Saints, uh, based on what they did in the draft, uh, by drafting Cesar Ruiz to strengthen that already strong offensive line and trading up for Zach Bond to be a multifaceted linebacker. Uh, the Saints, uh, I you could argue that there's no better roster in the NFL than the Saints right now. This truly is their last chance. Yeah, they put all their eggs in this basket. They let Teddy Bridgewater go. We'll talk about him in a minute, I'm sure. Yep. Let Teddy Bridgewater walk. So Taysom Hill is the backup court. Well, Jameis Winston, who they signed from the Buccaneers, is the backup with Taysom Hill. And it's just... They're really, they really put all their eggs in, in the 2020 basket. This is a swan song for Drew Brees. Can they get over the hump? Can they put away their, their playoff woes and actually put it together this year? Because they've lost twice to the Vikings in heartbreaking fashion. Can Drew Brees continue to do it? And it's, it's the best roster in football. They should be really good this year. Should be really good. Yes, and moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Brady Bunch. But you, uh, last time you were on, you said you're very skeptical that Tom Brady's uh, second act in Tampa will be successful. Absolutely, and very skeptical, because I believe it was on this podcast as well when we did our bold predictions for the AFC Divisional Round. And I said that Tom Brady would throw for less than 200 yards and he'd throw for two interceptions. And I believe he just barely cracked 200 yards and threw one pick six, which I'm counting as two interceptions. Tom Brady does not have, he has a noodle arm and does not play well behind a bad offensive line. If you actually go back and watch the tape last year, specifically go back and watch the Buffalo games. Because the Buffalo games, Buffalo has that pass rush that was able to get to him. Tom Brady does not like to be rushed. If you watch the Baltimore game, against the Patriots last year. Tom Brady does not enjoy any sort of pressure in his face whatsoever. He gets rid of the ball immediately. I don't buy the Tampa Bay offensive line as one that can really keep him upright and, and allow their incredible weapons, Chris Gowan, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski at retirement, we'll see what he is, You know, Cameron Braid, O.J. Howard, easily the best three tight ends on, on the same team in any, in any team. They brought in Shady McCoy. Can Tom Brady not panic and not throw the ball away enough for them to succeed? And I don't buy it this year. I don't buy the hype. 43-year-old Tom Brady. I think this is more of more or less a publicity stunt in trying to get people to stop thinking about the fact that they wasted the first overall pick on Jameis Winston. I... Pope, for the buck's sake, you turn out to be wrong there. And I think Brady does have a better shot in Tampa than what the Patriots gave him on offense last year. Uh, Bruce Arians will uh, tailor his offense to Brady. and uh, But that offensive line, especially the tackle position, has tremendous question marks. Their interior offensive line is actually quite good with Ryan Jensen and Ali Marpet 
But uh, tackle is a big question mark. Donovan Smith, not necessarily a household name at left tackle, but at right tackle is going to be rookie Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. He is going to have to grow up fast. And if he does it, uh, there could be problems. Yep, Tampa Bay traded up with the San Francisco 49ers to get Tristan Wirfs, and I was actually on the Tristan Wirfs train for the 49ers to select because I knew Joe Staley didn't have uh, much time left. And then, you know, of course, that they, they went with – Javon Kinlaw instead and ended up trading for Trent Williams and it worked out in San Francisco, but I'm, I'm high on Tristan Wirfs, but rookies learning the game in one of the, and in one of the better divisions of football. That's, that's tough. We'll see how he does. Now to a team that could take the biggest step backwards than mo- any other team in the league this year, potentially the Atlanta Falcons. Seriously. Uh, how much, uh, greatness do Matt Ryan and Julio Jones have left in them? Uh, yeah, that 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 is the question. And then my question is, is this finally the last year that Dan Quinn has in Atlanta? Most likely, yes. Uh, like, how do you... Buy, I don't care how good uh, Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are. Julio's getting old. Why did you pick CeeDee Lamb at 16? Why did you reach for A.J. Terrell there? I mean, I guess I understand you got a big needed corner, but the, the reason... But, but the Falcons... The way they keep drafting for need has bitten them in the butt in recent years, and uh, I think it's gonna the chickens are gonna come home to roost this year, and they could have a very very poor season, costing Dan Quinn his job. Yeah, and it'll be about time for Dan Quinn. I think Dan Quinn has survived about two seasons too long, um, and I know once you get to a Super Bowl, that, that that carries a lot of weight. And well, this guy brought us to a Super Bowl. This guy did this, and then you could almost argue that Kyle Shanahan had more to do with that team making it to the Super Bowl yes, he when did. he was coaching Matt Ryan to his MVP year and allowing Julio Jones to just go nuts on offense. And Dan Quinn has been a survivor, and I think this is finally his last year. So it's again not not as similar to Gase, where it's it's not when does it happen. It's is it is this the last year that it happens? I'm betting on yes, because Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are getting a little long the tooth, and I don't trust Todd Gurley to stay healthy, and uh, that defense is going to go through a lot of growing pains, so I am just uh, just don't have a lot of confidence that Dan Quinn can survive one more year. And now to the Carolina Panthers. Yes, uh, they do have Teddy Bridgewater, but the biggest thing with the Panthers is the new culture that Matt Rule is bringing in. The Panthers hired Matt Rule because of his proven track record as a culture builder and how he turned around two awful programs in college, Temple and Baylor, into respectable teams, if not powerhouse programs. So Matt Rule uh, and the culture he's established in Carolina, don't expect much from the Panthers in terms of the win column this year, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised, and I am fully expecting, actually, the players to immediately buy into what Matt Rule is doing and to be surprisingly competitive in most games, even if the wins don't come early. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting the the Panthers in the same boat as the Giants. It is Are they wasting the prime of Christian McCaffrey's career? Are they are they blowing? It's, he's been such a good player for them. And they, obviously when they drafted him, they drafted him to pair with Cam Newton. And it's just Cam Newton's injuries situation really set them back. So I don't think it's the same as as Saquon Barkley, where they just didn't have anyone to build around at the time they were building around Cam Newton. But now Christian McCaffrey just signed his massive extension is, are they, are they wasting the prime of his career with coaching changes and, and, and young quarterbacks like Kyle Allen last year, who now plays for the Washington football team, uh, Teddy two gloves, who is more than likely a placeholder until they get a rookie quarterback 
in this coming draft. It's a lot of question marks for me. And, and the biggest one is, is Christian McCaffrey just kind of wasting away in Carolina? That is a very good point. And last but not least to the AFC South, starting with the Texans. And uh, I think the qu- big question for me is uh, when or what? What is going to force the Texans to get rid of the big mistake that is Bill O'Brien, who is single-handedly ruining this team and potentially jeopardizing the long-term promise of Deshaun Watson? Well, Deshaun Watson is actually working on an extension with Houston right now. Um, you got a little insider knowledge on that one, and that, that deal is coming. It's going to come due pretty soon. And my biggest question is why? Why would Deshaun Watson sign on to stay in Houston and not want to test the free agent market? I know he doesn't want to get stuck on a franchise tag, so he wants to get the big contract he has now. So uh, if, if that's the case, if he's going to get his extension, my question is, does $17 – and a third-round pick in 2024 trade for Deshaun Watson? Can a team go steal Deshaun Watson from the Texans because Bill O'Brien is just the worst trader in the history of the NFL? He most certainly is, Zed. But on the football field, though, is how do you just replace uh, DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, Yeah, you got uh, Kenny Stills, and now you got Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb, but I don't see any of those three doing remotely what New Hopkins can do. No, not at all. Not at all. That that's just a they're, they're trying to take kind of a, a semi money ball approach to it, where they try and get a bunch of guys to try and fill what one guy did. But Hopkins was just such a high level player and made life for Deshaun Watson so easy. It's almost impossible to try and and replicate that with with a couple guys that had had success earlier on in their careers. And I I really hope for Watson's sake they they can. <laughs> they can catch the ball and they can get themselves open because I don't want to see him toil away in Houston. Absolutely. And uh, you just uh, brought the scoop that uh, Deshaun Watson is uh, working on a contract extension that is expected to get done before the season. Was that reported by uh, your uh, esteemed colleague, Tony Pauline at Pro Football Network? I believe it was. He he mentioned it. We also had it a day or two before he did. Um, it's been in the works for quite some time. Um, obviously, some other deals were more pressing for for the certain agency we were talking with, but Deshaun Watson is, is, is inching closer to a big, big deal. Absolutely. And uh, that is something to keep an eye on football fans. And last year's AFC runner ups, the Tennessee Titans. And uh, this is an interesting team. Like uh, do they get a lot better this year or do they um, take a step backwards and miss out on the playoffs? And uh, there's some reasons that they, uh, could improve, given especially if Jeffrey Simmons turns into the beast on defense they expect him to. But Ryan Tannehill, like, uh, how much of last season can he really replicate? Was Tannehill worth the money? That's my biggest question. And in you said it, can he replicate it? Is is AJ Brown going to see a little bit of a sophomore slump? Um, it, does does Derrick Henry maybe get banged up for a game or two, and it's forced to be all on Ryan Tannehill, and he can't just rely on the running game to do it? I don't know if you had to sign you had to sign Tannehill. As the Tennessee Titans, you had to sign him to a long-term deal. And he was in he was in the driver's seat when it came to the negotiations. It's just one of those positions you get in as a team. And I, I don't know if that was smart because there, there wasn't much talent out there otherwise to go and grab in, in, in the offseason. So 
they were stuck between a rock and a hard place, and they were stuck with, well, we know what Tannehill can do, so let's keep him. Yep, it's all on you, Ryan Tannehill, to prove whether last year was a fluke or legit. And the Indianapolis Colts with Phillip Rivers now manning the quarterback position. Um, uh, I actually think uh, that running game and how good Jonathan Taylor is off the bat, they traded up three spots to get him in the second round to form a one-two punch with Marlon Mack behind off that offensive line and bringing in DeForest Buckner in that trade with the Niners. Uh, the Colts could have some of the most dangerous uh, trench weapons on both sides of the football, and that could sneakily make them uh, serious contenders in a very weak division. Can Phillip Rivers be a game manager? Because that's what they need him to be at this point in his career. They need him to not turn the ball over, not force the ball downfield. They have a solid running game. They have a good offensive line, a very good defense. DeForest Buckner anchoring that defense is is a tremendous up. Upgrade for them. Having that guy right up the middle with Darius Leonard right behind him makes the center of your defense. It's hard to run against. It's going to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. Can Phillip Rivers be a game manager? Because that's that's exactly what they need from him at this point. They need him to just don't turn the ball over. Be able to make some throws, but don't turn the ball over. They need him to babysit this roster because if he can, this can easily be a playoff team. Absolutely, I completely agree. Chris Ballard has done a magnificent job in stacking this team with amazing young talent. And if Phillip Rivers just takes care of the football better than he did last year and they lean on that running game and he's still able to make uh, three or four big plays a game with his arm, uh, the Colts um, could be in the driver's seat for this division. And last but not least, arguably the team that many expect to have the first overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And... uh, I uh, I don't know what to think the Jaguars. This team is just entirely rebuilding, and I and there's not a lot of notable names on this roster right now. It's just so bad. Yeah, so um, tank for Trevor Lawrence, right? Yep, tank for I Trevor. Mean, that, yep. <laughs> that has that has to be the the motto. Tank for Trevor. Tank for Trevor Lawrence, and then uh, let's bring back Robert Sala as our next head coach because that's 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 what they're aiming for at this point. And uh, I, I I full I I, I fully believe. That, that Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator, is going to be the next head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was a linebacker's coach there when Kyle Shanahan hired him. He's put together a great defense in San Francisco. He's going to be he's he's going to want to go back somewhere where he's familiar. Um, the the Jaguars owner is a Middle Eastern man. Robert Sala will be the first Middle Eastern head coach in the NFL history. It makes too much sense to me. I know this is wildly predicting stuff way down the road, but. Is it just tank for Trevor at this point? Is that what the Jacksonville Jaguars are? Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen, the co-host of the 4th of Gold podcast that you can now catch on the Pro Football Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Barr underscore. And thank you, Matt. And that's it for today here on Sports Crutch. But we'll be back next week with more coverage of this NFL season like no other. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com. And remember, that is Crutch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donate to our Patreon at patreon.com 
slash sportscred so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Matt. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Matt Barr, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, wear a mask, social distance, wash your hands, and above all, whether it's in person or absentee, make a plan to vote. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.